Welcome to the podcast of Redemption Church. This is Story Sunday. Once in a while here at Redemption Church, instead of having somebody up here preaching a sermon, we like to hear from the people in our community, from you guys, what's going on and how is God working in your lives? You know, we believe that God didn't stop working once Jesus died on the cross, but that he is alive and active and his spirit is doing things now. And that part of our stories is part of God's stories. And so... um, Yeah, Revelation says that we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So we invite people once in a while to just share about how's God been at work in your life? Where have you seen him moving and breathing? And what has God been teaching you about who he is and who you are in him? And so today we get to have Joey and we get to have Gwen come up and share their stories. So to begin with, I'm going to invite Joey to come up and share a little bit about what's God been doing in your life, Joey. So give him a round of applause. Thank you all. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. And it's intimidating. Story Sunday, what has God been doing in my life this season? Well, the short answer is quite an awful lot, but I've been wisely advised by Ian to focus on one point, and uh, so now you have to sit through way too much before I finally get to it. (laughs) Katie and I are new to this town, and even more recently, this congregation. We've been haunting you since Thanksgiving, but we don't know each other that well yet. Katie and I have gone largely unchurched since we've known each other. Uh, We knew almost as soon as we walked in the door, unwittingly bringing our baby to a baby dedication Sunday in a church we've never been, (laughs) greeted with confusion and kindness uh, about who we were and did we maybe want to dedicate miles in this service. (laughs) That day, we were invited to feast with you uh, during Thanksgiving. And here we still are ever grateful that we were brought here and ever blessed to have found you all. We're, we talk about it a lot. <laughs> I was hesitant to share this story. We feel at home here with you. It can be scary to be vulnerable, but here we go. I moved to New York City about 13 years ago from Buffalo, away from my family, whom I love, but was its own sort of dumpster fire at the time. I better have something to show for this decision was my thought as I wore a sandwich board in Times Square, 35 degrees, handing out flyers to see the Addams Family musical (laughs) with $30 in my bank account. I had my inaugural welcome to New York City uh, nervous breakdown panic attack on the floor of my apartment uh, shortly after that. It's a rite of passage. (laughs) I wouldn't have believed you if you told me that within the next next few years, I would meet my wife and play on David Letterman. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I sealed the deal on our second date when I casually suggested that after dinner, maybe we could go find a bar that will put Letterman on for us because uh, I actually performed on the show tonight. (laughs) It's very effective, very effective. Our first 
years together were filled with these sorts of unimaginable experiences. We first met at Gramercy Theater in Manhattan about 12 years ago. I was performing and Kate was working the event. We were two strangers who locked eyes, exchanged smiles from across the room, that kind of thing. There were a number of serendipitous happenings surrounding our journey from strangers to the family that we are now, but they are stories for another time. <laughs> but in such things, I noticed the hand of God. After the last three years, it is easy to remember the time before 2020 as a utopia of sorts. And those years certainly had many challenges. Katie was hospitalized on two different occasions <clears throat> because of an autoimmune disorder. We moved apartments every two years, usually because we were constantly being priced out of the places we loved. Uh, as a freelance performer and audio producer, I never knew where my next check was going to come from, and uh, you know, there was that. But these and more we faced in the context of incredibly charming and rewarding experiences. Katie and I lived dizzying, fast-paced, and unpredictable lives, filled with music, traveling all over the world, met with colorful characters alongside friends as good as family. We were playing or hearing music everywhere all the time with people we loved. We ate and drank well, too. I was filled with awe and wonder that my life had exceeded the boundaries of my boyhood dreams and imagination, and that my life felt meaningful in some way. In that, too, I noticed the hand of God. Three years ago, the day New York City first shut down, I knew deep in my heart something was very wrong. I could see in my mind the dominoes beginning to fall in all directions, all at the same time. My band's upcoming tour getting canceled, the performance industry being devastated, leaving me and most of my friends out of work indefinitely, and the visceral fear of an unseeable enemy. What I did not foresee was that months later into the lockdowns, my band's van would be stolen, with some of the new merch we had ordered for the upcoming tour, our trailer was destroyed by a student driver. The next two tours were also canceled. My business partner and I had to close our recording and mix studio in the Lower East Side, which I had spent my entire savings uh, getting off the ground the previous year. My mental health began declining very rapidly at this time. Uh, Katie told me I was like a house cat. I would stare out the window for hours, despondent. I was out of hope and I was checked out. The city that was once home now felt very unwelcoming, and I couldn't help resent the decisions that were made for us, or, uh, or the people who made them. <laughs> I, uh, by the grace of God, we got through it with some camping trips, some visits to family, and even a truly wonderful trip to Mexico for a small songwriter festival that some of our friends were performing at. That was a bright spot in a dark year, and we met some beautiful people there, and there was lots of music healing to me. <clears throat> it had seen people were becoming more comfortable with gathering again. Kate and I had begun speaking optimistically about how we might be able to re, uh, begin rebuilding our lives. Uh, I felt a glimmer of hope for the first time for the future in the city. For reasons that are for another conversation, the same people I blamed for our loss, the city officials and governor of New York, decided I no longer met the medical requirements to dine indoors where most social activity happens or to work in the city as a musician even though the venues and clubs were reopening. And within a month, we had some friends and family in the city <clears throat> let, us, uh, they let us know they are no longer hanging with people who were not vaccinated. 
People we had spent time with just weeks beforehand. Uh, further conversation was shut down, and we have since reconciled, but that was a painful spot. I got phone calls from my mother and my sister, both of them nurses who worked through the entire pandemic, understaffed, underprotected, like some of you here. For similar reasons, they also no longer met the requirements to work in their hospitals according to the governor's mandate. They were to be terminated without being eligible for unemployment. My mother is a delivery nurse, my sister is an operating room nurse. Both love and care deeply about their work. These are women I have memories of at my mother's kitchen table, studying together all night after working all day. My mother was in her 50s at the time. I was furious. None of that made sense to me. I had people with faces and names to blame. I would pray to God regularly <laughs> to destroy the people responsible for what was happening to me and my family. Straight up destroy like John and James asked Jesus to do in the gospel. Like David did in some of the more like metal psalms that we don't really read in church or to our children. I'm sorry to confess that. <laughs> my resentment has been a poison. I was sitting at the kitchen table with Kate only last month when the story of Jesus asking Matthew to follow him came to mind. Particularly, the depiction of the scene in the new gospel series, The Chosen. In this scene, as soon as Jesus asks Matthew to follow him, Simon Peter is bewildered. What are you doing? Do you know who this guy is? Do you know what he's done? In this depiction, Matthew is the tax collector who is pursuing, who is pursuing Simon Peter and his family's tax debt, bringing them to ruin. Not to mention he profiteered off his own people in service to their Roman oppressors, which is well contextualized in the show. And that's when God showed me that I am Simon in this story. And Matthew's face could be interchanged with any of these people who brought such trouble to me and my family. Here I am, devoted to my Lord, so I think, ready to serve until the end. But simply, God, please not with this person. I began squirming in my seat at the realization that I would not be okay if I left my wife and home to follow Jesus, and he asked the enemy of me and my family to repent and follow him. I would have to live, eat, and travel with this horrible person following Jesus to God knows where. I squirmed in that chair for a while. Kate laughed at me in the beautiful way that she does. <laughs> I am grateful to God for how comically uncomfortable he made me with that revelation. I have felt a bit lighter in my heart each day I've reflected on it. My mother and sister are still going through it, but they are strong and God is good. If one of these people walked through that door and sought the grace of God as my wife and I did only a few months ago, this door, that's what I'm talking about, <laughs> perhaps God would give me the grace to squirm again before accepting the inevitable truth of the gospel, to love my enemy. It means new and difficult things to me now. Thank you for letting me share, and thanks be to God. Appreciate it. Thank you, Joey, for your vulnerability in telling that story. Um, we're now going to welcome Gwen up to the front to share. Man, so what I want to share is in process. So I was, as I was preparing for this morning, I was like, it is really hard to talk articulately and in a way that um, 
may not just be your own processing, but that may speak to another when you're still in the process of transformation. So I hope that what I share today will be, whatever I share, that it will be like translated through the spirit into whatever may bring uh, hope or encouragement to your own heart. Um, and if I had to encapsulate what I want to share into like a statement, it would be, be careful what you pray for because it will change your life. Yeah. And so with that, uh, some of you know me, have known me for years and years. Others of you, uh, we're still getting to know each other. Um, but if you know me, you'll know that if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram three to a T. I'm a very achievement-oriented, goal-driven um, person who never sits still. At least this is the historical me. Um, you give me a, I look for problems to solve. And I, I love adventure. I'm a very nomadic person by nature. Uh, so the fact that I've been connected to this area for like six years is kind of ridiculous. Um, but anyway, so with that in mind, uh, about three years ago, I found, I was working at a university at that point, and I found myself, even though I was very fulfilled with my work, it involved a lot of travel, I uh, was in a space within the university where I could dream and develop new initiatives and grow an area, and I was having a blast. I loved who I worked with, and yet there was this piece of me that was longing for something else. And I had, at different points in my career and even in college, done a lot of community-based work and been involved with supporting and initiating various entrepreneurial initiatives, all that had very purposeful things, um, usually in God's name and for the purpose of helping communities holistically. And that is really a core uh, heart passion of mine. And so I found myself longing for um, more of my time to be centered in those arenas again. But beyond that, I'd always been participating, I'd largely been participating in community work on the behind the scenes, like empowering those who were on the ground. And I was hungering more and more to be in um, working on the ground in communities with the people myself. And so I began the season of discernment of, God, I don't know what this will look like if you're even asking me to leave my job, because every year up until that, because of my nomadic nature, I've been like feeling this restlessness of like, where's the wind gonna take me next? And I'd always get this note, like plant where, like dig roots where I planted you and trust that I will nudge your spirit when it's time to move. So I'd always be like, okay, fine. Um, and God would give me little blessings. Like we, would, we did a, we called the Zoe Project. It was a cool entrepreneurial community-based uh, grant that Redemption got that I was able to be a part of. And just the nature of this community, I had some of those outlets, but I was longing for more. And without going into the details of that, which is another story for another time, um, God had led me to World Team, the organization that I'm serving with now. And it's, it drew me because it is community-based it takes a holistic approach to ministering to the internationals who have come to call Philadelphia home. Um, and it would be a, a community in which I could be trained up and accountable in um, and supported to be learning to live with Jesus on my sleeve as easily as I would gardening or cooking or you know, any other passion or love in my life. And that's an area in which I really wanted to grow. 
So I was like, all right, this is awesome. So I quit my job, I start this other thing, and I'm praying like, okay, God, you know, of course I love people, and I like know how to do things for people, but I really don't know what it means to like just be with people or to minister to any of the 50 plus nations and cultures that have come to live in the neighborhood that I now call home. I'm like, hmm, you're gonna like, so my core prayer leading into that season or um, about two years ago and has been my main prayer since is, God, help me to see people through your eyes. I want to really see people and give me your, your heart and your love and compassion for them because um, <clears throat> it goes beyond what I, what I have to offer out of my own will or abilities. Um, so, that, and that still is very much my main prayer today. But it was really hard that first year, man. Like, I, I knew I'm a structured person and I need something concrete and tangible to work on. So I helped my friends who live a half a mile down the road from me who are also in this type of work. Like, we started a community garden together. So at least every week I knew, like, oh, I can have my hands in the ground. We can also use this for cool, like, third spacing for our ministry stuff. But it'll give me some relief because if all my day is just filled with relationships and just sitting around with people, um, I will die. So, yeah. So I got involved in ESL and I got involved in community gardening. And those were, like, really important outlets for me that God also very beautifully used as places and spaces in which I could connect with the people that God was calling me to love and minister to. Um, so, but I remember, like, I, I practiced this spiritual discipline at the end of my day called examine, where it's just looking back at the day with God to see, like, God, where did you show up? Where did I see you? And then what was really, like, uplifting to my soul? And what was really hard or draining? And almost always, it was the visits, the home visits to my international friends that were the most draining and frustrating things <laughs> for the first several months, because, you know, if... I had never, um, never been in the home of a Middle Easterner before. And like in American culture, if you're gonna go visit with someone, unless it's family or a holiday, like usually visit for like hour and a half to two, two and a half hours if it's going really well. Um, and if it's me, usually I combine my visits with doing something because I don't sit still very well. So I'll go on a walk with someone or like, well, yeah, we'll do something. but. These, these cultures, they are cultures of, they just be together. And um, I would, like, I'm, I'm super attracted to the idea of it, but it was really hard to enter in. And I'd go into a visit, um, like I think of my Palestinian neighbor, Miriam, who lives around the block from me, and I didn't know what I was doing the first time, because like me, I've got my day lined out. I'm gonna do these six things, and I've got like just enough exact transportation time built in between them. This visit should end by this time, and I'll have time to do this and this and this before that. And you can only plan usually one thing, maybe two things a day if you're planning on visiting an international friend. Because you step in, and it's great. Like, oh, let me make you coffee and throw all these desserts at you and probably soda and sweet things that I don't have. And I'm like, but I don't want to offend you. So I'll take a sip of this Sprite and then just leave it over there. And I'll take a bite of these three desserts that you've given me, knowing that you're going to feed me lunch in a, about an hour. And they expect you, like, if you go and visit them, you're going to spend the day with them. 
And after three hours of my first visit, I'm like dying, I'm super exhausted, I have no emotional energy left. And I like had to make up some excuse to like leave. And because I'm an American, I could get away with a shortened visit. But like culturally, had, had it been a, you know, another Palestinian or um, Middle Eastern friend come over, they would have spent the entire day together. And um, I'm like, oh, I can't do this every day. Like maybe once a week. Maybe, maybe once every other week with a friend, something like that. But it was really hard at first. But, um, but over time, like it takes time to get to know friends, like to make a friend, to move beyond a contact, to like building up shared experiences. And at first I'm like, one, the visits are super long. Two, you know, I'm a, I'm a tattooed, like loved craft beer and used to work at a winery, like um, really out of the bounds of most, like I'm so within the Christian tradition, but I draw from many spiritual disciplines and practices for like things that bring life to my own soul. I dress differently, like I have hobbies that most of these conservative religious like Muslim contexts would it be appropriate for women? So I'm like, on what level are we gonna connect about anything? Um, and, and yet, over time, as I continue to pray over, like, God, help me to see them as, like, help me to really see them. Um, not just see what I see on the outside or what, how we should or shouldn't naturally connect, but help me to see them as you see them and to love them with the love and compassion that you have. Um, over time as I kept then leaning in, kept like, okay, I don't feel like visiting today, go anyway. Um, it, it was amazing how the connections just began to, to naturally come up. Like we might find ourselves laughing over this one random thing that we saw happen on the street. We built this shared experience by going to a greenhouse. Like I invited them into something that was special to me. They loved to invite me into cooking their good food. I'm like, ah, cooking. That's something that we could both align in. So you just like, you just, the more you spend time with people, the more that you, and you have a, a willingness for your heart to be open to the other. Um, God blesses that. Like sometimes all you need is a willingness to be willing. And God can work with that. And, and so then looking back after like six, seven, eight months, I'm, I'm doing my exam and I'm reflecting on my journal and I'm like, ooh, yeah, those, those types of extended interactions and visits, sometimes they feel awkward, sometimes they're still really draining, but almost every time, the, the highlights, the consolations, the richest pieces of my day, they're always tied to people and to relationships. And, um, and this, this summer, an example of this, um, so I mentioned our community garden. One of the fun things that we launched this past summer was called Art in Conversation. So basically it was, you know, nothing as intense as like art therapy, even though you know, everyone you know, would benefit from some level of art therapy in the course of their life. And many of my friends do have trauma in their backgrounds based on their stories of coming to America or their stories now. Um, but basically it was a, a time Friday mornings every week in the summer to come and be in a beautiful little oasis in the middle of the city together with um, a small group of other um, young 20, 30 something women to do an art project together um, and have an opportunity to share a piece of a story of their life based on whatever the theme was for the day. 
And it was, our hope was that women would feel seen, that they would um, have an opportunity to be heard and to be held and their honor and dignity um, uplifted in the context of this group. And that then we would see relationships deepen and be able to journey authentically together. And um, it was such an example of like, we would often be sitting there, there'd be 10 women, there'd be like 10 countries represented. And uh, sometimes it was intergenerational, which is also really cool. Um, but it just kept reinforcing like, people are people are people. Everyone has hopes and dreams, um, areas of pain, areas of um, struggle, um, hope for being a part of something meaningful, often having a sense of, a higher power or a purpose or something beyond themselves um, that they want to align with or seek to find themselves whole through. And um, it just reinforced these things that had been building in me of regardless of anything you ever do, like the, the value of life is really in, in seeing the other and in, in treasuring and cherishing um, living life together we are all on journeys and we're all in different seasons we may have very different appearances of stories but um, but I may find always because I'm wired as I am great thrill in launching new initiatives and doing entrepreneurial things and whatever and I may always do them for people but um but the place where I find myself my heart coming from is not primarily the motivation of the thrill of the first that has the benefit of benefiting others, but from a deep desire to, to know and to really see and honor the other, and from that place of love and seeing, my doing will overflow. And I, yeah, and so it's, it's been really cool, like, I started with this prayer of, you know, God, I really need you to help me see others because I don't know how to do this, to now my heart is being shifted at deep foundational levels and it's changing who and what, what I want to be in the world. Um, so it's like a, now I'm, I'm left with like a whole new way now of, of seeing my international friends, of seeing our community, of even things like the hurried pace at which I used to live, like that's shifted dramatically. Um, and my, my prayer is really that um, now as I enter into this new season, like what I'm asking God is, God, show me how to keep investing deeper and cultivating spaces where people can be seen, heard, and encouraged in their seeking of, of wholeness and healing, which I believe in my experience has been has come from a connection with a loving God. So, um, yeah, so to the world, what I'm doing and the values of it don't look any different, but who I am in it has been so crazy changed. So be careful what you pray for, because you will find yourself changed. Um, yeah, so that's it. Thank you. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.